Once upon a time, two men decided if they were making the cut. And then they made the cut. And now JT and Aaron are talking everything from wrestling to pop culture and beyond. Because it's no holds barred. Will you back down, turn and run? Or stand up with the best? No hold barred. Really held that last one there. Mm, felt like a good day to do that. Did it? No. I, you know, I, I always feel um, morning time is a time for grumbling voices. Oh, you feel that way? Like, what time does morning end for you? When would the grumbling complete? It might be all day, but <laughs> I would usually say around noon is probably noon, 1230. Okay, so you maybe make a little BLT for lunch, and then the grumbling resolves. I have been eating wraps. Wraps, huh? Like breakfast wraps. I've been wrapping up sausages and bacon and eggs and fucking potatoes. It's been delicious. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good for you. You're a wrap man. Hey-o. Uh, we also, it's because we got an air fryer. Mm, air fryers yeah. are great. Yeah, I, I, we never had one before, but this thing's really useful. Yeah, yeah. Does uh wings come really good, obviously, in there? Oh yeah, yeah. You know what else comes really good is spring rolls. Mm. There's one recipe I'll have to send you uh, that's like kielbasa, shrimp, and vegetables in there, and it comes really good. I don't like shrimp. Well, you can do it without the shrimp. The kielbasa and the vegetables still come good. I don't like vegetables. No. Um. Yeah, I, I don't know what it is. I want to like shrimp. Why don't I like mm. shrimp? Well, it's weird. I don't like it. Like, I don't like like shrimp cocktail. Right. Like, I won't eat just like cold shrimp with the sauce that I do not like. Disgusting. Correct. Uh, if it's like cooked like that, I will. I will dabble. I always imagine shrimp cocktail as some sort of a drink. Mm. May you create it. <laughs> just like a, a shrimpy mush that people drink. <laughs> <laughs> the shrimp cocktail. Yeah. Enjoy. <laughs> it's like me and Jeff's idea to open a. Uh, a bar called the ice cream bar oh where it's all regular drinks and food but we specialize in also having lots of ice cream dessert type frozen desserts yeah that's a great idea right no bars really have that no no, no. my buddy had a, an idea to open a store called one and a half so like everything you ordered was like one and a half portions that's just america <laughs> I suppose. Yeah, we don't have that here. Like, it's like in here, you either don't have enough or you have too much. Right, right. Yeah, I remember having a lot of poutine when I went there. I, we ordered that. It was like a lot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there's a, there's, a, there's a lot of poutine. A lot of poutine and a lot of smoked meat. A poutine pie. All right, listen. Let's get back into our topic here tonight. It's our yes. monthly dabble through the journey, through the greatest WWF title matches title changes title changes yes every world title change chronologically we are breaking down and then ranking them in an order based on a number of categories that you and i grade and do an aggregate so exactly run down those categories absolutely so with each of these matches each and every one of them that is um each of these matches we take a look at the match quality the significance the moment the build 
and the aftermath. And each of us give a score out of 10 in each of those categories. That gives us a score out of 100. And uh, we've been doing a pretty good job ranking them so far. Yeah, we're on our 18th, 19th, and 20th matches tonight. My goodness. And and I'll be honest, these are some of the like it's some of these are some of the greatest matches of all time, which is really cool. They are. Yeah, too. I mean, yes, the first two are all-time classics. And the first one that we're going to break down is the 1992 Royal Rumble. And <laughs> look, we're not going to spend a ton of time on this, right? Because you and I just did a pretty big deep dive on now entering the Royal Rumble, our other podcast that drops every other Monday with uh rick flair came up so obviously he's in the whole match the focal part yes. of the match so we did a pretty robust look at it also over the past year on the place to be podcast over on the place to be nation wrestling feed myself and scott griscolo uh and i think john damato went on that episode we went through and did our full review so i've already like broken this whole match down twice in the last year or so yeah. Uh, and, and it's out there for you to enjoy and listen. Now, it's not to say we won't talk about it here, but we're not going to do like the full walkthrough like we do for other matches just because it's it's a long match and there's a lot going on. And a lot of it's already been covered since it centers on Flair so much. Yeah. I mean, like we we dealt with Flair, but we also we've also done a recent now into a rumble on Piper. We did a recent one on uh, Davy Boy Smith. So right. like it's not just their parts like we really dealt with almost everyone in that match. At some point. Uh, that being said, still one of the greatest matches of all time, easily. Uh, yeah, yeah, for sure. And the, it's kind of just like nestled in the middle of nowhere, like this random, like try to picture today, like Dirty doing a, a a match of this significance. Like, where was the 16 Rumble? That was somewhere big, right? When they had the title on the line, was that Atlanta or was that the, something like that? Uh, 2016. Yeah. Rumble. That's the AJ Styles debut, right? Yes. Um, Orlando. Uh, it was somewhere down there, right? Yeah. It was somewhere where, like, in Styles Country, basically. My point uh, is, like, it was in a decent Amway size. Center. That's Miami, right? No, Orlando. Orlando. Orlando, yeah. yeah. Okay. okay, so it's a big it's a big place. My point is, like, this massive show with the world title on the line. Ric yeah. Flair's going to win. Big storylines for Mania. And it's in Albany, New York. Like, in the middle of nowhere. Like, it's, it's just such a random show on this Saturday night. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Sunday afternoon. This one was um, four o'clock. Like it just everything that feels weird about it. <laughs> it's like this massive show just kind of nestled in this cold winter sleepy town. Yeah, and it's like you look at the rest of the card and you're like, wow, this this probably shouldn't be that good. Right. It's all the tag matches. Piper Mountie, which is fun, but like it's more of the moment that than really the match. Right. And then yeah, you get this like all time classic with like every single hall of famer in it like the most important rumble of all time with mm -hmm. all the guys from your favorite moment like favorite um, era <laughs> coming in there and it's crazy because it starts right from the beginning because like like you said flair comes in right at the start right yeah he's and, in there right at the beginning that's it and so from the beginning you're you're kind of locked in i mean even even the first two before flair with diviase and um davy like it's like oh like there's some major guys in here. It's not like uh, Scotty Too Hotty and uh, Saturn starting this thing off, you know? Right, and then even you know they hype. I thought they did a good job hyping up Bulldog. It's like having won the big Royal Albert Battle Royal and all that. So it just feels like heavy to start. Yeah, and it's a really especially the first half of the match. I find the first half of the match is such an interesting focus on Shawn Michaels too. Like he's he's not in there that long, but. He's in there long enough next to Flair that you start to get the sense that this is their next guy. Right. Like and when we when we did his Rumble 
focused episode, like we really enjoyed it too. And he's definitely presented as someone who's on the verge of breaking through versus just another solo guy, like a Shane Douglas the year before. Yeah. And I mean, do you think this artificially gets bumped a little bit in the early section uh, because of how great Bobby and Gorilla are? Yeah, I think so. And uh, the whole thing, honestly, like as great as sure. it is all the way through, it's bumped up for them. Yeah, because I mean, we the whole beginning, like there's there's Michael's flair bulldog. And everybody else is almost like a tier behind. Right. I guess boss man. You could probably throw a boss man in that conversation too. Yeah, he's pretty much at the peak of his powers here. Yeah. But then everybody else, I mean, no no disrespect intended, but you know, Haku, Barbarian, Hercules. Right. At Valentine. this point. Yeah. That's it. Uh, Nikolai Volkov. <laughs> <laughs> um, like at this point, these are not the guys that are going to probably win this thing, right? So while the first part is really entertaining, I think it's I think it's carried so much by Flair in the early part. Not that the whole mm-hmm. match isn't, but especially this beginning part. It's carried by the, like, when is Flair going to get eliminated? Yes. Because, yeah, yeah he's a 60-minute man. Yeah, he's a focal point. But I think it, when he comes out this early, if you're in the know of it, you're probably thinking, I guess, maybe he will go out and then, like, the back end will be all Hogan, Taker, Sid, right? You know what I mean? Like, that's probably what you're thinking going in here. Like, all right, Flair will dominate the first half, get thrown out when Hogan comes out, and then it'll be all Hogan, take or Sid at the end. And Hogan kinda like the, the It's kind of like the AJ Styles uh, debut. Yeah, or, I mean, yes. Or even the next year, right? Where, like, this has been a thing where a guy will kind of control the first half, and then he goes, and then it turns to the story of the back half, right? Like, we hadn't really, to this point... Even like DiBiase in 90, like he lasts a while, but he's kind of gone when the match turns, right? So yeah. there's always been like this turning point. In 89 is when Savage and Hogan go out. Then we kind of get the back end of the story. So you kind of figure Flair will last maybe until the late teens. Hogan comes out, pace him, and then the the back end is Hogan conquesting over Taker with something with to do with Sid maybe yeah. um, to get to Hogan being the champion. Now, I, I guess there are probably still people who thought Flair Hogan for the belt. So maybe you're thinking he's going to go the whole way, or maybe you're thinking Flair will challenge him at Mania and not be the champion. Like that was also a possibility. Right. It's interesting that, that like that you, looking back now, they would never do that. Well, they might make him challenge, but he wouldn't beat Hogan at WrestleMania. No, right. He would. Yes. Come up short, which yeah, wouldn't be a sure. shock. I mean, Flair's beatable, obviously. Right. So like, yeah. It wouldn't be that crazy for him to lose this and lose to Hogan. It made, like, it's just how he is and, like, how they would position Hogan. Like, I don't think anyone would think anything of it. But that's not the way they go. Um, and there is a lot of cool moments, a lot of fun spots that we've talked about a lot on Now Entering the Rumble. You know, the commentary around Haku and Barbarian when it comes to Flair and just all the focus that they do. They put on all these guys. And I think DiBiase coming and going so quickly, too, was like a big salvo. Like, oh, shit, like this this rumble means business Um, (laughs) where even the big dogs like aren't safe from potentially getting thrown out because there's a lot going on. We do get that mid-match break a little bit in there where Bossman comes down to Bossman and Flair. Bossman takes the awesome bump out. And that's when we get uh, the really fun moment where. Uh, Piper shows up, of course, and the crowd's going crazy. He had already had a huge night winning the IC title. So that's kind of like the midpoint reset of the match and Flair's still hanging in. He's such a great, and, and from there, like, it's just, that's, that's where the match becomes legendary. I think, I think the, the match yeah. is already great. Like, and I think one of the reasons it's great is what you said is because Flair is so beatable. So you'd believe Tito yes. Santana might be able to get him out. Right. 
right? Like because he's always getting thrown around. How many how many back body drops did he take in the match? <laughs> like you know, like he's always getting tossed around. And then Piper comes in, and the match just kind of turns into this crazy thing. Because I mean, from that point on, you get Piper, Jake, and Duggan like right away, back to back to back, and it's just this incredible sequence. I I think that Piper sequence is amazing with Flair, where he's killing him, and you know the crowd is going nuts. And then Jake comes in, and that sequence is also incredible. Yes. Yes, just goes crazy. And the crowd's going crazy. Um, and it's just uh, uh, the mix of guys in there. Just, and it's like, there's a little bit of face heel stuff, but not a ton because it really is every man for himself throughout this. And you get a lot of, dece- you know, deceptionists, <laughs> decepting, decepticons uh, out there with, uh, you know, guys like Flair and Jake, like Piper. Like, none of them are afraid to be your buddy one minute and then turn on you quickly. So it's almost this race to see like who's going to turn on who the quickest in this little group. And Bobby's dying through all of it. He's hoping Flair can survive anything. Um, Undertaker comes in at 20 and he gets like the worst possible draw I could have gotten because him and Hogan as being the the last two champions got to pick between 20 and 30 only. Uh, So he gets hosed. Yeah. And then we get a, a, a little sequence where all the guys are a little bit weaker. Yes. So we get Skinner, Virgil, IR, well, IRS is in there a long time, but like the Berserker. I mean, I mm-hmm. like I, I like the Berserker, and I like his um his run here as we chronicled on now entering the Royal Rumble. But it's these are the only dregs that are going to come out for the rest of this match, right? Because right after them, you got Martell, you got Hogan, you got Sid Slaughter. You know, it, it, mm-hmm. you even talk about. There's also the um. As much as we're talking about flair and everything, there's a bunch of other storylines woven in here, too. Like, right. we get the Savage Jake stuff, which is such a great, intense storyline woven into this match as well. Yeah, I mean, yes, there's just a ton of layers and depth and interest. The flair and heat and stuff kind of dominates over it, but it's like Hogan's still Hogan at this point. He'd already won two Rumbles in a row. He's mm-hmm. always the guy we go back to for the world champion. Like, He's obviously lingering. Sid is a force. He looks amazing as he comes out. So he's definitely a threat and a player. Yeah. So there's like a lot going on here. And even a guy like Savage, who you can envision a world where he's being, and it's not too far away, right? Where he's being brought out of retirement to get this big push. And maybe, uh, maybe he wins and wins the title and fights, fights Hogan or Flair or who the hell knows at Mania. So there was like still a lot of what ifs here teetering, even after Taker goes out. Yeah, and like I and more than we know too, this was '92 is really an interesting transition year. So like it is feasible that like they could have gone in multiple different directions here. Right. Yep. So and I mean the fi- the finish ends up being legendary. It ends up coming down to uh, Hogan, Sid, Flair, and Savage. Savage gets dumped, and uh, and then Hogan's killing Flair, and Sid walks up and tosses him, mm-hmm. and. You know, what's interesting about that is the reaction Sid gets is very much a face reaction. Oh, yes. It's been scrubbed uh, on and off on different video releases and whatnot. But uh, for sure, in the moment, in the moment, he definitely is a pop for Sid tossing out Hogan. Yeah. And what why does Hogan get to behave in this fashion and still be cheered? Uh, Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> like it's like every time I mean when you look at all of Hogan's rumbles I think we covered this again but he's just such a giant baby mm-hmm. big pussy like what did what I guess what did he expect Sid to do at the end right just like step out of the ring for him I guess the only way you could look at it is 
in his mind, they should have like a stand up man on man fight, like toss flare and better man wins. I think Hogan's, if you're going to side with him, the beef is he attacked from the back. Right. But Hogan himself has done that multiple times to friends in the Royal Rumble. So yeah. it, it's hard to really feel bad for him. And he did it to Savage in 89, Warrior, uh, Warrior in 90. So it's like Tugboat in 91. Tugboat, yeah. So, I mean, he's got, well, Tugboat attacked him first. But yes, he's got this, <laughs> um, he's got a history of doing this. So it's hard to take him seriously when this is the shit he's pulling anyway. But I think if you are going to defend Hogan, that's your argument. That it's not that Sid eliminated him it's that sid uh was sneaky about it it's how he eliminated him right it's that he did it from behind when hogan wasn't looking and that's not what buddies and stand up you guys do they should have went face to face and determined who was the best but this is a gold standard royal Rumble match in every conceivable category uh the finish is predictable yet shocking all in once uh and it's it's hard to top really it's it's flawless it sets up so many feuds for going forward yeah. It's a match that I've never – any match you can find someone that has detractors probably. I've never really run across anyone who says, like, this Rumble's not that good. Like, the show, maybe, because they take on merge with the undercard, et cetera. But I've never really run into someone that I can think off the top of my head that wasn't, like, in love with this match. Maybe some newer fans that didn't grow up then, possibly. But I don't know. Like, it's pretty well-revered. It's interesting watching this with newer people who are newer fans or either not fans. It's interesting. To, number one, they can't conceive that the old guy's gonna win. Right. That's what I've noticed. It's like you get towards the end of the match, and like I'm, I've watched with friends who've never watched, and they're like, "The old guy's not gonna win, is he?" <coughs> and and they don't find Bobby Heenan as funny as we do. Right. It's a weird little thing. It's like it's like Bobby Heenan is such a genius within this world. But right. it almost doesn't translate out. Right. Which is strange. Like, I don't know if you've ever seen him on, like, um, Arsenio Hall with, mm-hmm. like, when he brings Recruit. And he's, like, he's he's doing his same jokes, but they're just not landing. Right. It's a strange little thing. But, I, I mean. Yeah, he just stands out so much in this universe. And I think part of it, too, is you just had, it was, like, you needed the years of stress from Bobby to really appreciate what he's going through in this moment. Like. He's gone through years of torture by Hogan, years yeah. of never winning the big one. And he's not Flair's manager per se, but he's he's on the team. It's close and enough. like, you know, like he's just like all all this tension with him and Monsoon for years, like him and Perfect being, you know, associated for a couple of years now. It's like there's so much history dripping in his moments. It's not like he's Regis stepping in at WrestleMania seven and cracking jokes or Steve Allen or something, right? right? Like like it's what makes it work is the emotional tie he has to flair and to this match. And I think you need to have an appreciation or be a fan for this time, or at least understand historically what that means to really appreciate the commentary. Of course. And I will say too, like I've ended up watching, I think I'm, I think we're finished watching the parts that flares in for 93, yep. but when he comes out at 93 and, and Bobby's like, Oh no, I just always have this sense of dread that Bobby himself can't go through this again. Right. Yeah. Right. Some of it feels like he's not as invested, but I think you're right. I think part of it is more that he he just is tortured, but then he's always got a little confidence too. In 93, he's like, you know what? We yeah. did it last year. We'll, do, we'll it do it again. I think he didn't want to go back to the well. And honestly, his issue at that point was more against perfect anyway, than yeah. pro flair by that point in his run. So it's a very different 
view a year later. But Flair, like you can tell, he's on his way out with that one. Like the the allure isn't there. But that's a pod for another day, which we've already done. Uh, so yes. check it out now. Turn the Rumble. All right, let's get into our grades here for the '92 Rumble. So when we broke it down on now entering the Rumble for Flair. This got all tens from us for for Flair's performance alone. Got all tens. It was a yeah. perfect score. It will at least finish tied for the best uh, Rumble performance of all time by Ric Flair. But remember, <laughs> our grades here factor in much more than that. Of course, yes. And but the first grade is match quality, and I think it's fair to say since we gave Flair tens and he carries the the entire match, this is an easy ten. Yeah, the match quality a hundred percent is a ten. It's. There's little things, nitpicks, but it's hard to it's hard to get over thinking like what would be a better and and yes this is a tough one right because we went through this when we did our GWWE greatest pay per view of TV matches ever like how do you rate this match versus others because like how do you rank this versus Warrior Savage or Bret Austin like it's it's tough right because they're so different and there's so many other guys but if you stack this against other Rumbles it's absolutely the gold standard like. If you're going to book a rumble match, this is about as perfect as you're going to do. Yeah, you know it's funny. I would I would argue that it's not the most it's not the best booked rumble. Right. Like it because there are a couple of patches. Now, it's covered completely well by everybody's in the ring, by Bobby, by but you know it it so it's mm-hmm. it's it's fine, right? But is there but, ever going to be a perfectly booked rumble, I guess is my question. Like is this peak do you feel there's better ones that are booked end to end better than this? I think 90 is probably booked better end to end. Like, I think it's probably uh, booked better. Not, I, well, right. maybe 90 is also really great in terms of like that. But just the way that there are zero kind of slow spots in 90. The, right. I mean, the only argument, I guess, would be at the end, even at the end of 90, I was going to say the end of 90 um, isn't as hot, but it's not for the title. So how can it be? But the end of 90 is pretty hot with perfect and rude. And so I don't know. I'd say 90 is probably a bit better booked, but this one's better executed. Right. Right. It's a 10. Oh, yeah. It's a 10. Um, where are you at for significance? <clears throat> so I give it a six. It's the first rumble and one of the only two with the world titles on the line. It jump starts like Flair's legacy because even to this point, he hadn't really put his money where his mouth was. Like he'd been more of an agitator on TV and on pay-per-view. He hadn't really shown why he's the nature boy, the man, Ric Flair in the WWF. And this is like his statement win, right? It's like his MVP outing. He comes out and goes 60 minutes, pretty much bell to bell and wins it. And to me that like cemented his legacy in the WWF as a guy who wasn't just like, another kind of failed WCW guy coming over that mm. was in the shadow of Hogan. This put him there. It also, the significance of it historically, I mean, it's one of the best matches of all time. Like I think the significance, you can wrap it to stuff like that. Um, <clears throat> Bobby and gorilla, probably their best commentary performance of all time. Uh, you know, sets up Sid and Hogan for mania, like the initial turn for Sid in his big pop. So this is so much uh, significant as a Sean, like you said, like establishing him as a big, upper mid card heel that we talked about, like maybe without this run, does it accelerate as quickly for him? So there's just so many little things in here um, that were of significance that really pay off later. Yeah. I just think I, I I'm at a five. I'm just a little bit below you. I think. Mm-hmm. Um, did you give your score? Yeah. Eh? Yeah. Six. Yep. Okay. Per, yeah. Um, so I, I'm at a five, all the same reasons. I just feel that like in the end, flair winning the title could have been more of a seismic shift. 
right. for the company. And because in the next by the t- by the, in like three months time, he's lost the belt and isn't the champion for the most of the year. I think that kind of dings it just a little tiny bit. It's the timing for him. If Rumble yeah. if Mania wasn't three months away, he probably has a longer run, as my guess. They just wanted right. to switch the title. Uh, but that said, like Flair winning here, just because he loses to Savage doesn't mean there wasn't significance baked in. Like, yes, Flair's run may have been short, but the importance and gravity of him winning helped make Savage's win feel that much bigger, too. Oh, yes, I- I'm on board. I'm definitely on board with that. Yes. Okay. Now, in terms of the moment, again, I think it's a perfect 10. Uh, yes, I don't. Again, I don't know how you would look at another moment and say, and say it's better than this. Like, it's is equal to others. But, um, yeah, Flair winning the belt, Bobby flipping out, Sid and Hogan arguing, the chaos, the little promo after, like, just all of it is, is amazing, memorable stuff. Put that cigarette out. Put it out. Um, I got a seven for the build. I went six because I feel like there's actually not a lot outside of the hype that the title's on the line. So after Tuesday in Texas, like that piece sets it up. But I, I may it's not as memor- they don't have as much memory of as a TV at this point as I should go revisit. But I feel like a lot of the bill was just like the title's on the line and here's all the guys in it. You know, what I mean, like they didn't do much to get it over. They didn't have to. But like outside of promos, like there wasn't a lot going into hyping this besides just the world title's on the line and anyone can win. See, I thought of it that way at first, and then I bumped it up after I kind of factored in, I think Flair's whole run as the would-be real-world mm. champion is, is yeah. sh- should be factored into this build. So yeah. from the time he comes in with the belt, him yelling at Hogan, like him interfering, like all everything to do with Flair from the time he came to the promotion kind of climaxes in this moment, right. including all the Bobby stuff. So that's why I'm at a seven. Yeah, that's fair enough. Fair to Flair. Like, well, we not- kind of balance. If you our significance and builds pretty much cancel out, so that's good. That's it. We're fair. Um, aftermath. I'm at a seven. I wish it was a longer run, uh, but I can't flaw uh, fault what came after because I think it's really exceptional. So. No, same. It's an awesome follow-up with um, Flair kind of getting the hell out of the way from Hogan after Hogan and Sid have their issue, and then all the build with him and Savage that they they heat up real quick over a course of a month and make there's so much heat in that match. Like it's insane, like how much work they put in. Because it's really you look at it, it's really only like five weeks from when the press conference and all that. I think it's Mania, five or six weeks, and they go all in and uh, make it work. So yeah, definitely really well uh, followed up on. Yeah, and I, I mean, anybody who listens knows how fond I am of that Sid run. And, like, you don't get that Sid run. It's part of the aftermath of this match. Right, yep. All right, that lands us with a total score of 78. So that's our new number one. That's our new number one. Was this an obvious win? Uh, I don't know, like, not really. But it's hard because I wasn't super dialed in behind the scenes at the time. So for me as a kid... I guess I was surprised. I think there's flavors to it, though. Like, before the match, I think I would have believed Flair was a ch- had a chance. When he comes out at three, I think those odds go down, right? It's like it's like a football game where it's a like a 60-40 chance, but the team that has the 40% goes down like 13-0 in the first, like, five minutes. Or so. It's like their percentages go way down, right? And then they make the big comeback. So, for right. me, like, I would say, like, yeah, Flair probably has an equal shot as hogan and, and then maybe sit and taker right like those four are probably the guys coming in you're thinking um 
but then once he comes in at three, that that drops. So it's I just kind of hedged and went like not really because I think going in, yeah. But then once he walks out, you're probably thinking no way. Right. Yeah. It certainly look. It certainly was. I, I'm I'm exactly the same boat. It certainly was a war for Ric Flair. Also, a war is uh, wrestling against replacement. Tell us about that. Uh, wrestling above replacement, and it's above. okay because I fuck it up every episode too. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it's every other Friday. Myself and Marcus Fuller going through every WWE pay per view season. So that starts with the first show after Mania through Mania the next year. And we uh, watch all the pay-per-views. We give quick breakdowns of the matches. And then we do a bunch of categories with a uh, plus-minus system. So you get a point for all the pluses above something that would be considered replacement level, which is just average. And then a minus for everything that's below that level. We net that out, and that's helping us rank every pay-per-view and then every season. So uh, we're in the midst of pretty much just wrapping up the bow on 2011-2012. And then we'll be on to our third season after that. So it's a lot of fun. It's a different way to look at things. I've always been a fan of like that season view because it gives lets you really appreciate the build to mania coming out of the fall. But also like the in, like we saw this a lot in 11, 12 guys that get fucked come mania because like they may be super hot in the in the summer, and in the fall. And then all of a sudden by mania, they're like gone. And I think this gives you that full appreciation for that arc uh, for a lot of guys. Like I think of a guy like Christian in 11 has this awesome run and then he's not even in mania. I think he was hurt, but still like um, or our truth and, and uh, Miz are like such big players at the end of 11. And by mania, they're kind of overlooked. So it's an interesting concept and way to look at things. And Marcus have a good time uh, digging through those. So we're looking forward to our third season. Nice. Uh, that also on Fridays, uh, every two Fridays, you get you know what that means, an AEW mm-hmm. podcast with Jordan Duncan and Rish. If you're a fan of that product at all, uh, AEW, that is a must listen because they do a great deep dive. They don't it's it's a it's kind of an it's a very very different show because they don't kind of like review shows or dive deep into right. act- matches. They just kind of talk about concepts as a whole, which I think is really an interesting way to look at it. Yep. Yep. It's uh yeah, it's a it's a cool Look at and two guys that have always had um, like a cool way of looking at wrestling too. So yeah, they go much below the surface and versus just kind of recapping stuff or whatnot. They they think a little bit deeper of that, and they're both super into the product. So right, and you and Tim Capel uh, do a fantastic job thinking deeper into nine zero two one zero. Yes, we do. As absurd as that sounds, uh, usually every two to three weeks, usually hits on a Friday night. Myself, Tim, and rotating guests going through the history of Beverly Hills Nine Hundred Two and Zero. We are a little over halfway through season one right now, and Tim says every every episode that if, if we get through season one, we're going to cruise. That's the hard one. That's just, not that it's a hard, easy to get through. It's just you get that momentum flowing if you actually make that level of commitment to get through the first full season. So I'm going to stick by it, and we're going to keep cruising on. Nice. Nice, nice, nice. Uh, also on Sundays, Mark Claire and Remzo Martinez killing it like always with second print comics. Uh, every single week they do a deep dive into some sort of comic series. The most recent episode I listened to was the episode on Morbius. It was some really cool stuff and they really uh, kind of turned some, hopefully turned some new eyes into a character that's going to mm. become more important lately, but has been a staple of Marvel for a very long time. Yep. Yep. Yeah, no, they do a great job. They've been consistent. I mean... Every week I look and there it is, ready to roll on Sunday. I don't think they've missed one. So, no, they're they're they've been a fa- done a fantastic job from the start. Mm-hmm. They've been a boon for the whole uh, network. And uh, also on the weekends, you're looking at from squared circle to silver screen. 
that's Cowboy and Crossland uh, going after uh, movies that are uh, either about wrestling or that uh, star wrestlers that have a theme. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, you know, these guys have developed such great chemistry, great chemistry, great chemistry over <laughs> the years uh, that it's just a smooth, easy listen and a lot of fun. Yeah, that's uh, once a month, every fourth Saturday. The, one of the most recent ones was on Red Notice, the Netflix special, and then they've had one since. But they, uh, no, they do a good job. It's a quick listen to. It's usually like forty-five minutes, and they just they don't they don't do a full recap of the movie, right? They just kind of hit some different categories and talk things through, and it's a yeah. smooth, easy weekend listen. Smooth, easy weekend. So, shall we deal with our next match? Uh, yeah, because it's a big one, and I know it's one of your favorites of all time. April fifth, nineteen ninety-two, the Hoosier Dome. Indianapolis, Indiana, as Macho Man Randy Savage takes on Ric Flair for the world title. Um, just a, a WrestleMania world title match no one would have expected just weeks before it was announced. Um, it comes out of nowhere, really. Yep. And it's quickly heated up, though. It's become so personal and so well executed. Savage back, uh, challenging for the world title of Mania for the first time in three years, looking to be the man. Flair's Mania debut, which kind of almost somehow gets overlooked in this too. Like it's his first ever mania match. So yeah. that's kind of cool. It's a great entrance with him at perfect soaking in all this heat, all these booze. Bobby's in heaven. Well, like he's hyping it, up flair, the hyping up the centerfold. There's so much going on. Yeah. Like, and I mean the whole story of she was mine before she was yours. It was such a night. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, did, did, before this, did you know what damaged goods meant? Um, I don't know, actually. Maybe not. I'm, I'm pretty sure this is where I learned it. I probably turned to my dad and said, what does damaged goods mean? And he had to like, uh, just means that <laughs> know him because he was never a very uh, talkative man when it came to that stuff. Right. I, I love the fr- the pre-match promo backstage, too, where like Flair is offering Liz one last shot at Space Mountain. And Perfect goes, can I come along this time, champ? <laughs> and Flair's like, yeah, all right. <laughs> BPS bastard. Yeah, and and this is so coolly co- like this becomes such a personal feud that it's totally contrasted by Savage not granting interviews before the match. Right. Yeah, he's like he's just out of his fucking mind um, yeah. because we know Savage has always been insane when it comes to Liz and like it's just a brilliant scheme. Uh, it was they played it so well where with Flair and Perfect where you could almost kind of believe it's real, right? But you also know Flair is so good at mind games and Savage is such on edge that it's very likely he's just fucking with him. And they do such a classic job. The the pictures in the magazine yeah. um, and all that are really funny. So there's just a lot of uh, just greatness leading Rick up to Rick and it. Liz. Rick and Liz, right? That's what the R and L are. Rick and Liz. Yeah. <laughs> and then Flair on the member of the Jetway where he's wearing the tan coat. Like there's so much good stuff and all this, all the hype, all the buildings. To this, and it just dominated superstars every week. I feel like they really made chicken salad out of chicken shit here too, because not that Flair and Savage would ever be shit, but they right. were kind of thrown together. Correct. Yeah, there was no no build at all. Like Savage was with Jake up until Saturday's main event. Um, they almost right. used that Saturday's main event as like a February pay per view at that point for them. So because it ends a couple feuds and then twists into new ones. Flair's done with Hogan at that point. Savage is done with Jake. You know, Taker's moving on. So it's a real hard stop at that show to twist things around. And that's where we come out of. So, yeah. um, you know, per, and Savage is great. He's solo. He's wearing the gold tights. Runs. He runs yeah, he to runs the ring because he's angry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, if you get the sense that he's there to hurt him. Yes. Yeah. Like, he's pissed. I, I mean, we know it. Anytime you fuck with Liz, he is going to lose his fucking mind. And, yeah. and he's lost his mind here. And I, I think Bobby gets, like, the best – 
Flair intro here where he's like, if you want to be fair to Flair, you got to be fair and say it's a heck of a robe. Mm-hmm. Only yeah, a man yeah. is fair. And Gorilla's <laughs> not having Stop! He's not having any. There's also, as Flair's coming down, this blonde, like, licking her lips the whole time. Mm. Like, and I never got that, like, that he was a good-looking man, Ric Flair. Um, I think it's like a power thing. It's like Tony Soprano, you know? Right. And, he's not and, really a good-looking man, but everyone fawns over him. But he comes down on your heart. Uh, Bobby's just wooing it up on commentary. I would also mention the pop that Savage gets when he comes out. Like, yeah, I think oh, it's, it's a monster, yeah. It's it's a monster uh, reaction. And you get the sense he's going to murder them. He cha- Right away, he's chasing them around the ring. And I think pissed off Savage is the best Savage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's, he's be- out of his mind. Yep. He's beating the shit out of Flair in the aisle. And Perfect has to get involved, like, to pull him off. I love that shot of Perfect, like, pulling him down the um, from the ramp all the way back to the ring. Basically yes. pulling him by his face. The um, gorilla's so pissed already. And that becomes an ongoing thing, too, with yes. Perfect. Because Perfect is involved in this match the whole way through. He's like the Sherry that Savage used to have, uh, just constantly getting involved. And it's, that's part of the flair package. Oh, it's fun because it's almost like he's – it's almost a handicap match in many ways. Yeah, but Savage keeps taking control because – and right. Bobby is making all kinds of excuses – on, like he's like, oh well, it's because of this and because of that. Like, well, it even I, says like this vendetta is gonna backfire at some point, and Gorilla disagrees. But yeah, um, I love early on Savage almost gets a three off a freaking hard clothesline, and to me that's kind of the, like a sneaky story of this match is how mm-hmm. great Flair is at his kickouts and and getting out of stuff. Yes, but then but then Savage does that run at Flair and gets backdropped out, and it's that backdrop where he like. I don't even know how he does it. Like, but the, it looks like it's in slow motion because it's so high. Right. Like he, it's like he grabs the ropes and does does the full 360. Mm-hmm. <laughs> get knocked down there. And then the story becomes like Savage is hurt and Flair is taking advantage. And it's, there's some great stuff. A great delayed suplex from Flair. Bobby's feeling it. He's he's wooing the whole. Like as soon as Flair takes over, he becomes like the worst winner on the planet. Yes. Like the woo. <laughs> um. And then at one point, Bobby's like, come on, Gorilla, spit out the banana and give me a woo. And, <laughs> and he's after- begging for the pictures, too. He wants to see those uh, Liz centerfolds because oh, that was the big part of the story, too, is that, you know, Flair and Perfect had saved the best picture for last, basically saying they had a nude of Liz um, that they were going to put up on the big screen when when Flair won. Um, so and then they kept teasing that. And we never really get the payoff because he loses. But and it's yeah. never mentioned again. No, it's no. I love too that when he tells Gorilla to spit out his banana and give him a woo, there's a pause. Like, there's <laughs> a pa- and I'm pretty sure it's got to be Gorilla laughing. Right. Right. And it's around this time too that Gorilla starts mentioning, like, maybe you don't want to play with the Macho Man. Right. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe you picked the wrong guy this time. <laughs> yeah. Maybe it's going to backfire on you. But that being said, Savage's selling of this beating is incredible. Yes. Like, I mean, I, how, he's got to be one of the best sellers in company history, right? Mm hmm. Yeah, and because the feuds are always so emotional, yeah, it means even more. Like everything feels heavier. Yeah, yeah. Like he's just so like he's good at selling not just not just the pain, but also the exhaust. He's already great at the emotional stuff too. Like yep. he's he's just so good. And there's a great sequence as the match goes on. Flair kind of gets him in the corner, and F- Savage starts kind of coming back with some punches. So Flair just kind of leans on him to slow him down. It just feels like something you might do in a mm-hmm. fight um, because, like, you're just trying to, like, make sure this guy doesn't get back into the match. Right. And whenever Savage punches, the crowd is, like, 1,000 behind. Yes. Like, 1,000 uh, 
like percent behind him. They're they're going crazy for him. Flair goes to the top. Savage slams him off um, to the point where, and then he goes to climb up to the top ropes, and he has to move the referee out of the way. Like I don't yep. know what the ref was doing in the way. Um, <laughs> I like Bobby in here too, continuing to bring the heat as well. Like he's saying, "Where's Liz? She must be backstage pining for Flair." <laughs> the Liz can go on a love connection to get a date after this when Savage is done. So a lot of good stuff from him, keeping on as well uh, as the match eggs along and you know bobby you know continues to beg as well right savage gets on his attack again yeah and savage at this point starts killing him like just killing him and there's this incredible shot of flair begging off and savage with his arms outstretched before spitting on him Mm -hmm. it's this wide shot but it's like oh like this is this is this feud in a nutshell here like you fucked with the wrong guy and now he's gonna murder you and then my favorite spot in the match, so F- Savage does this, he throws Flair into the corner, he does his little flip in the corner, right, runs to the other rope to jump, to, to the other side to jump off, mm-hmm. and Savage, I don't know if he was trying to clothesline him, but it looks like he, it looks like Flair jumps and Savage, like, uppercuts him out of the air. Right, yeah. And it's the closest two you'll ever see. Like, and I love that it happened off that because that's that if someone if you jumped at someone and they uppercutted mm-hmm. you out of the air, you would be probably unconscious. Right. It's a really good near fall. Uh, it's so good. And the cr- the crowd, it buys it 1000 yep. uh, percent. The perfect sell of it, too, is also incredible. Like you can see him like breathing heavy after it. Yeah. And this is where Flair. So Flair takes a bump outside after this into the railing. Yep. And now he's like gushing blood. It's like all over the place. Yeah, and Savage starts working the cut, which is really good. Like, mm-hmm. it's starting to look good. Awesome suplexes. And now, like, Bobby at this point is just screaming. Like, Savage needs to be stopped. It's too much. <laughs> Everyone's on edge. Everyone. The crowd, Savage, Bobby. Yeah, like, and, and we, I mean, we talk about Gorilla and Bobby at, like, at nauseum, how great they are in Rumble 92. But I find they're just as good here. Oh, yeah, definitely. Like, whenever Flair's involved. And Flair's selling's incredible, too. Great double axe handle from the top, which Flair sells like death. Another insane close two count. Mm-hmm. And the crowd is buying on all of them. And yes. as, like, that's the thing is that they are locked in and it's a dome too. So mm-hmm. it's probably not as loud as like a regular building. Um, like Savage then hits the flying elbow. And here's where the cheating like really starts, right? Like Perfect comes in, slides Savage out. And then like he has to chase Perfect around. And uh, we get Perfect going through his pockets and tossing the brass knuckles to Flair. And Flair, like, pastes him with the brass knuckles. Like, it looks really great. Yeah, this whole thing is so good, too, because from when Perfect comes in and breaks up the pin to the brass knucks, all felt like this could be a potential DQ and cheap escape, right? Like, yeah. I don't think anyone would have been surprised. The match is in the middle of the card. Flair had only been champion three months. Are you really going to go with Savage? Are you going to maybe build to a rematch? So, and Flair's the type of guy to escape with a cheap, either cheap win or, you know, escape with the title. So, like, I thought those two teases were brilliantly done this late in the match because they both very much felt like this could be the end. And it would have been believable and probably been okay. Yeah, and you could have had whoever, like Hogan or Sid chase or whatever after, right? Right, yeah. Um, on that near fall two with the brass knuckles, Savage's kick out is like just, he just barely moves his body. Yes. And the crowd loses it. And I love at this point, Flair kind of like goes into the next gear and like starts just fucking, he picks up his head and like does those like rapid punches. And like, it, it, it just really now feels like there's an urgency to Flair's work. Like, okay, I fucked with this guy long enough. Now I have to... Now I have to start taking this seriously and put him away. 
And around this point, too, perfect bust Savage Knee with the chair. Yep. Like the che- the cheating is like out of control. Oh yeah, it's 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 insane, and it's one of my favorite. I, I think I have it on tape somewhere still. There's a prime time right after this where I think it's either the next night or may, it might be a week later because usually it was pre-recorded, so they don't always have the the latest. But um, so they have the prime time and this the shilling the tape, and we'll get to the finish in a second. But something like yeah. Like Bobby says, or Perfect says, like, oh, can you watch that tape and see the head full of tights? And Gorilla, like, has this awesome delivery. He goes, no, but you can see the 75 times you jumped in the ring and got involved. And Perfect just, like, turns around and pissed off or something like that. And it's just, like, it's such good delivery. Yeah. Um, But it's, like, also so really well done because it's true. <laughs> he was constantly involved in the well, match. Like, it's, like, how can, you, how can you complain about anything after what you did this whole match? It will, like he smashes his knee with the chair, basically breaks his knee for the the whole of '92, right there. Savage's selling is fantastic, and this is just such a great example of like the Ric Flair chaos. Like yeah, every yeah. there's so much craziness going on. Savage is hurt. Flair's in his next gear. The selling is incredible from Savage. He's hopping around. That that might be the best leg sell I've ever seen him for '92. Mm-hmm. And if the mo- the match can't get any more dramatic, right? Because there's the cheating, the blood, the crazy near falls, the crazy action. Here comes Liz running down. Yep. Poor Shane McMahon is not being listened to <laughs> by He's her. Yeah. <laughs> He's just waving his arms, but she's not going to be stopped. And now Flair is just like all in on like breaking Savage's leg. And even right. Bobby's like, they're going to break that leg. Yep. They're going to yep. break it. Figure four. And you know, as this is happening, the building is in a frenzy. Mm-hmm. Like they're, they're they're screaming for Liz. They're mad at the cheating. They're cheering for Savage. They're booing. Like it's just it's just so perfect, right? Like then Savage is in the figure four. He almost goes down to the pin as perfect as adding the leverage um, from the ropes, which is great. Then Savage gets a small t- a package, at, which almost gets a three, and the crowd is ready. Yes. Because they're like, oh, because this was the point where you could still win a match without like making sure you hit all your spots. Right, right. right. Um, so then he gets up, and now Flair's continuing to pound the leg, and Savage is hopping around. Flair's beating him, and he's Flair is now starting to get cocky, and he's talking to Liz. He's like, that's for you, baby. Woo! He's like, yeah, he's, really? like, all over the smack talk on Liz, like, just rubbing it. He's, he's really in his bag, right? He's feeling himself. Yeah. He's controlling this match. He's about to break Savage's leg and retain his title, and he's rubbing it on Liz. And, yeah, he's peak nature boy right now. It's so good. And then he grabs Savage's leg and he waits like a second too long. Mm -hmm. And then Savage kind of punches him, whips him around, drops him with a schoolboy, handful of tights, and gets the the three out of nowhere. And the crowd explodes. Yeah, they go crazy. Right before the two, Bobby was had a funny like because Liz Liz winked at Flair. <laughs> like yeah. it's right before that finish. It was funny, Should've but yeah, <laughs> it's a great moment. Um, the pop is insane. Savage back on top, and it's such a cool one too because he's alone finally, like to win the title. We've yeah. talked about this a lot in the past. Like you know, obviously when he was a four, Hogan's out there and all that. But this really felt like he did it on his own this time, and overcame all these odds and. Um, yeah, just took on like two guys that were just playing all these mind games and physical uh, assault, physically assaulting him. He's trying to protect his wife or, you know, and everything at ringside. So this is so much going on. It felt so super earned when he wins it. Well, and I feel like, I mean, we've, I don't know, we've talked about this before, how I kind of view Savage's entire WWF run as one consistent story. Yep. And this kind of really feels like the perfect topper to it. 
Right. Like he gets pulled back into the promotion by Liz because like he had retired, but then Jake starts attacking her. Right. And that's what brings him back. Right. And that in the snake attack. And then like this kind of caps it with him being back on top of the mountain. Mm -hmm. Um, The post match is also incredible because Flair's not too hurt because he got rolled up. So he starts going after Liz and he forces a kiss on her, (laughs) which is pretty uh, aggressive. Mm -hmm. And she starts slapping him and the place is already losing it with her slapping him. Right. And then Savage nearly kills her running to get Flair. Mm -hmm. Like he just kind of balls by her. And then then we get this crazy beatdown. Lots of officials around, but Flair and Perfect keep the beatdown going. And like they, stupid officials keep holding Savage down. Right. Like we're like, and Flair's just dropping knees on his knee. And and I love the image of like bloody Ric Flair in a rage here. Mm-hmm. Like it's again another little a little gear of him that we didn't see during the match. Like we saw him confident. We saw him selling. We saw him bloody and hurt, but here he's bloody and on offense. And it's like, yep. Whoa, like this is a really, it felt like a really different Ric Flair. Um, and then I get like, I, and then, and then it occurred to me, I'm like, why are they holding him down so that Flair can beat him up more? But I think it occurred to me here on this rewatch anyway. No, no, no. They're holding Savage down so he doesn't murder Ric Flair. Yes, yes. They're trying to protect him because they know he's going to lose his fucking mind. Yeah. Even though um, even though Flair was getting the better of him, like he would have gotten up and that, that fight never would have stopped in the ring. Right. No, definitely not. Flair was dead. And then they finally get Flair out of there and we get the Fink announcement that I don't think we'd ever heard, which mm-hmm. I love that he goes, the winner of this match. And once again, and when, yes. and when he says once again, the, the, the music plays and the place goes, it's like we return back to the pop. Mm-hmm. Like that he, when he won, like I, I've never actually seen that. It was like crazy pop when he won. Then it kind of d- dulls down like we're, for the beating. I mean, it's still crazy, but it's a different kind of crowd energy. And then when they announce him as the winner, it's like everyone's just happy again. Yeah, and it just speaks to the connection that Savage has with the fans. I mean, that's always been in place and always been there. He's, they've been with him, like you said, to this whole story. We just watched him finally, him and Liz get married. Like, all this stuff play out over the last year. And we always talk about WrestleMania 4 to 5 as, like, this big story arc for Savage. But 7 to 8 is a pretty big one, too. Because 7, he's forced into retirement in arguably the greatest match of all time in company history. Uh, spends, you know, time kind of changing his ways, right? Becomes a beloved again over the summer. Gets married. Gets dragged back in. Has to fight this evil fuck that's trying to murder his, you know, murder him and, and take <laughs> Ruin his, his wedding. Yeah. So it's like, and then, and then he gets pulled back into this. So it's like a nice year long arc from a year ago he was retired to this now being back on top. So it's it's a spectacle. It's insanity. It's chaos. It's wonderful. It's a great story. Great builds. Great teases. All the right beats. Um, you know. My only little beef with this has always been the, the finish is a little anticlimactic um, just because like I feel like they maybe went a blip too long. Like you mentioned at least three other times that the crowd was ready that I think that because they didn't deliver in those moments when they do, they weren't ready this time. Um, and it felt like a little bit out of nowhere, which is fine given how the story went. But just a small nitpick. See, um, I like that. I like that yeah. the match ended on something unusual well it didn't need to be the big elbow it still could have been unusual i just think they did like four unusual teases and it kind of burned like by the time they got to this one it felt like they waited one too long i guess is all i'm saying see i think that actually plays really well into what you were talking about with the the threat of the dq yeah 
because it was like, oh my God. And then you keep thinking, oh, Savage isn't going to win it. So, right. because, and then even when he starts breaking his leg, you're like, okay, well, here they're, he, they're either going to get a DQ or something. Right. But then he actually pulls it out before they can cheat more and get that DQ. So for me, that that wasn't as much, but I could I could see the argument. Like for me, the this even though I think the the match is like 18 minutes long, it mm-hmm. still feels like a sprint. Yeah. Oh yeah, it does. They don't slow down. There's, there's no rest holds. There's no like none of that. It's constant action and anger and vigor. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, um, Savage is amazing as always. Oh yeah. There. I mean, look, it's it's a and and Flair Flair is Flair is just incredible in this mm-hmm. run. Uh, you know, it's it's a perfect little storm of of everything that's good about wrestling, but we we can't go. We have to talk about the post match interview too because I think this flies. This goes along with everything, right? So we cut to the back with Perfect and Flair, and um, and Perfect is like just screaming about the injustice of the handful of trunks, and after all the che- like we talked about it after all right. the cheating, they are like losing it over the smallest thing. Yes, so like, mad at him, the trunks. Bobby shows up and he's like, "Did you see?" <laughs> Like, I love that. And I love the effect of Bobby and per- and Perfect screaming about it. But Flair is just that tad different. And it's the genius of the promo. Mm-hmm. He's like, we don't cry over spilled mil- milk. Right. Like, one time doesn't mean anything. We're going to regroup. Like, I, lo- I love, I love that contrast. I love, And then as soon as he says that, Bobby and Perfect change too. They're right, like, look, right. this man has never taken a shortcut. <laughs> like, <laughs> And Perfect goes about Savage. He goes, he's like his old lady, a cheater. <laughs> like it's very much, um, you know, tired. It's like a Marvel. They like a kingpin feel with Flair during this little stretch where he's like, even when he's not in control, he is. And at yeah. the end of the match, you said how he turned. It's like you know when Wilson Fisk would like see red and beat the shit out of someone. Right? Like that's what it felt like at the yeah. end. And he's got his little toady advisors that kind of do his dirty work and like. It felt really very much like that conglomerate feel during this time period where you had the head, you had the money guy, you had the brains that would execute the plans. You know, so like, it was the closest they probably ever really came in dirty of to having like that well-defined operation, not just the events and the stooges, right? Like, but really like a well-oiled corporate machine. I guess the corporation later felt like it, but like these three guys really felt like they had the plans in place and they operated at a different level. Well, they were all like, okay, we, the, the corporation, the, the, the comparison to the corporation makes sense, but these three were also all competent. Right. Yes. Yeah. Like in their own way. Right. Uh, and then we get the contrast of the Savage post-match promo where he's selling the knee and they bring up that he cheated and he's just, he just doesn't care. He's like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> doesn't matter. But he's still, what I love is that he's still angry. Right. And you get the famous. Well, it wasn't uh, enough. Yeah. You haven't been beat up properly. <laughs> like line, which I didn't, I, I couldn't remember came from here until I rewatched it. And the whole <laughs> promo is basically Savage is going to murder, is still going to murder Ric Flair. Right. Yeah. He's he not get, done. He, he may have taken his title, but yeah. that dude's still walking and he just kissed my wife. Like in front of everyone. <laughs> he gives <laughs> the title to Elizabeth. He rips his shirt off and is like, this is yours. This is yours. Like it's all a whole other level of insanity. Um, which I think is brilliant because it, it, again, it's a character thing, right? Like Savage wouldn't be satisfied with just winning the title. Like he would want to end Ric Flair's yeah, like, life career. <laughs> I don't know if he ever even talked about taking the title in the buildup. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Yeah. He just wants to hurt Ric Flair. Yeah. I think when, when he was announced, it was like, I'm going to become WWF champion. And then, and then Flair started the Liz stuff and he's like, okay, here we go. <laughs> Anyway, I look on behind the connection. We did it. You asked me what my favorite match of Mm -hmm. all time was. 
And I think I answered Steve Austin and Bret Hart because I was just kind of like, oh, I wasn't ready for the question. But as I was watch- watching this one, it's this one. This right. is probably my favorite match of all time. I, I think the intensity is just so brilliant. I think the work is brilliant. The story is brilliant. The crowd losing, it's brilliant. It's it's an emotional catharsis of a release for the, for the win. Um, and it, it continues the story in a logical way. You get all those faces of flair. You get Savage's incredible selling, the drama. Ugh, I love it. I think it's one of the sneaky best matches in company history. Um, I'm at a 10 for match quality. Yeah, I went nine. Um, it's right there for me. I've always been right around like four and a half on this match. I've been, I talked about the end. Um, and I, I think it's little stuff here and there. I, I do think is as, as fun as the perfect stuff is. Sometimes that feels overwhelming in the match as well. Uh, and, and the end is, is a little off for me. Like, I do feel like it would have been a hotter finish if they tightened it up a little bit, but it's near perfect for me. I've always loved it. It's one of my favorite matches ever. It's one of my favorite shows ever from my favorite time periods ever. So it definitely clocks in high. If we did halves on the show, I'd probably be at like a nine and a half, but it's, mm. it's closer to a nine than a 10 for me. Makes sense. Um, I don't think it's horribly significant though. Like I think we give the title to Savage and it's cool that he gets it back, but I love 92, but it's very much, this feels like very much a placeholder um, title change. Yeah. Yeah. I went with a four as well. It's more about the moment than the significance. I mean, there's the real significance is is that Savage gets to be champion again, right? After not having it um, and, and getting his moment, but because of the structure of the company in this time period, there is um, there's not a lot of him to see. You know what I mean? Like mm. he goes on the European tour, he's on TV a bit, like on prime time and stuff. But like they just don't do a lot till SummerSlam where he's suddenly fighting the Warrior, and they do a bunch in the build in August. But there's just like this missing gap that we don't get to appreciate. And I think if we just had, you know, a raw or a pay-per-view in here, you may get more of this rain, but it almost feels like a lost rain. Right. Yeah. There's no Saturday night's main events either. Right. No, nothing. Yeah. This is nothing is like I said, you got the Europe tour where I think they show a match or two like that. Is it kind of that one with IRS that pops up a lot? And I think him and Sean have one. And yeah. then he uh, he's got some fun stuff. But it's all house show stuff. Like he's got that that random cool tag match with Brett against Sean and flair, you know, like this, this stuff out there of him. Um, but it, like, as far as like a mainstay presence, it's just a very sleepy, quiet summer. Um, the stuff happening, but it's just not as in your face as most years have throughout this stretch. So you do just you don't think, see a ton. Do you think in this moment they had any sort of long-term plan here? <sighs> yeah. Do you think yeah, it's I what think they it was, end up doing? No, I, I think the plan was to get it back on Flair, and then I'm guessing a Warrior. Ah, uh, yeah, was okay. The plan. And then Thanks. Flair's got the ear thing. Warrior get the steroid stuff hits. Like I think it's right around this time where like the shit really hits the fan backstage with everything. Is yeah. right around Mania, um, with the steroids, with the sexual abuse, like all that stuff kind of all crops up heavy. So they had to like flip the script quite a bit. So I think yes and no. I think they had plans, but it all got fucked up quick. Okay. Uh, look for me, the moment is a 10 chaos, the, 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 the win, the crowd, everything is perfect for me in this moment. I mean, it goes along with my match rating, I guess. Yeah. I give it a 10 as well. Yeah. It's, it's a great moment. The, the chaos, like you said, the post-match, the interview, just everything about it just feels like a massive mania moment. Do you think yeah. it hurts it that it doesn't close the show? No, I think it hurts the show. It hurts <laughs> the, the show, but I don't think it hurts this yeah. moment. 
Yes. Although the way they close the show is equally as exciting, I think. Right. Like, I mean, not maybe not for us now, but in the moment with Warrior coming back, that's like, I would say that's almost as big as this. Yeah, it's, you're right. It, you forget about that. I just think the card structure, it just, it just stinks that they have like a, a boring stretch and that Hogan said kind of under, under delivers. I know you're more bullish on it than most, but <laughs> it does under deliver a bit. So I, I think like, I just think the first half with Brett Piper and then this within two matches of each other, plus Taker murdering Jake. And yeah. then you just go into this lull of that boring tag match. Martel, Martel Tatanka, Tatanka, which is like nothing. Um, Owen and else? Skinner. Owen and Skinner. So it's like, yeah, it's just kind of, yeah. Yeah, this it's that Owen lull. and Skinner match. I know it's only 30 seconds, but it's like, what are we doing here? Right. Like, okay, all right, I guess. You know, not that I want to shit on Owen Hart, but like. Right. Yeah, I, it is the structure. If you move one of those matches out of there, like if you f- swap maybe the tag title match and the Intercontinental match. Right. Like, I think you're probably. I don't know if you can put those. I don't think Flair. And, I don't think Brett and Piper can follow this. I think it mm. had to build to this. I think you either yeah. have to somehow deliver a better tag title scenario. Um, With that roster. <laughs> well, maybe bring LOD back. Yeah, instead of doing an interview about uh, Paul Ellery. Fight, right, and Fight Money, Inc., or maybe squash someone else. I think we've, we covered this when we did the Mania 8 PCV, but like, there's ways you can shuffle that around and give a better moment. Like Maybe have them destroy the Beverly Brothers or something, right? Um, there's something you could do there. Or don't, don't do the first half, second half deal. Do Flair Savage, then Owen in between, and then right to the main event. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. So just kind of build better. Overall. Yeah, and you can you can actually like move, you <clears throat> move the tag title match or before the Intercontinental, but still have the Intercontinental before this match. Right. Yep. If this match goes on first, there's no way Bret Hart blades, right? <laughs> no, because you know he'd get bitched at. So. Yeah, like nobody's gonna like like yeah like Flair could come back from that, right? He could come back from lying to Vince and not giving a fuck. And <laughs> correct, correct. Um, as for the build, I'm at a seven. Yeah, me too. I mean, it's. I think if we had more, obviously go higher. There was some microwaved, but what they did was immaculate. Yeah, the whole shoes mine before shoes yours. But then when we were talking through it too, it really plays into Savage's whole story. So I think it's worth getting a pretty high score there. Yeah. Yeah. Aftermath. I'm. I think I'm a bit higher than you. I'm at a six. Uh, yeah, I won five. I, I again, there's just not much there. Like, they don't really follow up a ton. Like both guys just kind of go off, and and again, maybe it's just a lack of me having really rewatched some of that stuff recently after living it the first time. But there's no no heated build again, and then all of a sudden it's Savage Warrior, which still includes Flair, but it's just kind of swerves weird. And then they do the next match we're going to talk about, kind of comes out of nowhere. So yeah, I don't know. Like yeah, it just, they don't really capitalize on much. I mean, I think five's still pretty high given how little they do, uh, just out of respect to Savage. But yeah. Yeah, see, I I like so I guess it's because I really like the story of um, Savage and Warrior and Flair and all that, and I really like that Savage kind of like I, I don't know if you remember his promos with Warrior, but it was very much like I'm the WWF champion and you're not. Like it was this really like interesting character turn for him where there was a right. bit of arrogance coming in, and I think that kind of came out of this win, which is why I'm a bit maybe it's a, t- a tad higher than you are there. Right. Um, but yeah, so it's, it's I mean, nothing crazy, but I'm, I'm pretty high on it there. Was this obvious? Um, 
Yeah, I think so. I mean, it, in some ways it could have felt like a filler, but I think once it was obvious that Hogan was going to be gone, I think Savage was going to, you knew Savage was going to win. Right. I think maybe if Hogan wasn't clear that he was taking time away, you could think Savage was just this little placeholder to give Slayer something to do. And then Hogan beats Flair later, but no, I, I I think it was the way the feud went. I think it was fairly obvious because even even like I guess I don't know if we count a DQ win as obvious. Like I guess Savage could have won by DQ, but uh, winning the title, I, I'd say probably so, only because with Hogan gone instead of heel, and Warrior wasn't back before the build, so like who else is there? Yeah, I I think so. Now in hindsight, I think it's it's more obvious at the time. I was not expecting Savage to win. I know. I remember because not that I was angry because I love Savage, but it was like it felt early like for Flair to lose the belt. Um, It it just Savage like we kind of talked about Savage kind of came out of nowhere. Like you didn't necessarily picture him as like the world champion at this point. Right. So I think there was enough doubt for for it to be like, okay, maybe plus with the match going on in the middle of the card. You know, that would be a a way to like, okay, we're going to send the fans home happy with Hogan and or whatever. So I don't think it's super obvious, but in hindsight, obviously it is. Um, that gives this match a 72, which places it fourth. Ric Flair making a dent with this little run. Yeah, I mean, he's got some huge emotional, big time storylines um, and matches. <laughs> when you deliver, yeah. you know, four and a half, five star matches, classics, and with big time moments and big time settings you're going to deliver i mean well and they build upon each other too right so it shows you uh, how crazy hogan chic is that it's in this stratosphere oh yeah that's insane i love that i love that it's like yeah it's it's like just they're all just in that like one or two points ahead of each other right uh, who's making a dent in the ruthless aggressive era is jake williams mm-hmm. uh every every second uh, tuesday uh he does the ruthlessly aggressive podcast and he's been covering a really kind of uh underspoken about era in wwe history yeah it's cool and especially since they're inching into 03 now on there him and his guests uh, it'll be cool to see the build to WrestleMania 19, which you and I consider obviously the best mania of all time. It'll mm-hmm. be interesting to see how they, how the hype goes to get there. Yeah. And that's every other Tuesday. And that runs in tandem with you, myself and Jenny Smith doing TNA never dies. TNA never dies, but my desire to watch the product dies <laughs> every show I watch. Yeah. And we're about in the time, same time frame. We're in March of Oh three. So kind of close to where Jake is. And it's an interesting stretch for sure. Vince Russo is he there? Is he not there? There's a lot going on with that. Um, some weird faces Disco Inferno getting better. <laughs> and Jenny's Jenny's loving on it. So what can you do? Yeah, Jenny loves that shit, and it's good. Um, that's going on on Tuesdays on the North South Connection. You're still going strong with ECW, right? Though. Uh, we are. Yeah, that's every other Thursday here on the North South. We are going through the history of ECW. We're in the summer of '96, getting toward the end of it. There's some classic stuff going on right now. It's me, Jenny, and Sousa. Going through that, um, you know, Dreamer uh, dealing with Brian Lee, tangentially associated with Ravens still, Ravens torturing Sandman with the family, the Pitbulls um, have their issues going on as Pitbull 1 had his neck broken by Shane Douglas. Uh, Mm. Douglas is completely locked in. He's been on fire since he came back from the WWF, pissed off about the Dean stuff. And then also uh, all the uh, Eliminators and Gangsters tag feud, which has been awesome too. So just a lot of the... Really famous. Plus, the, we're doing the very in the middle of the very slow build 
to Taz and Sabu, as Taz has been calling them out for months now. So inching toward that as we get into 97. So a lot of cool stuff and really looking forward to continuing that journey. Yeah, and you and I are also on a journey on Mondays, now entering the Royal Rumble. We've been uh, talking about every single Royal Rumble's entrance Mm -hmm. and performance, ranking them all. We've done over 200 at this point. But every other Monday, we deep dive into... Every single competitor, we don't care if it's Skinner, we don't care if it's Hulk Hogan, we are going to give you an in-depth look at each of their Royal Rumble appearances. We do. You summed it up. I summed it up. Uh, also, after every major show, don't forget to check out Viewer's Choice mm-hmm. with Marcus and Tim, breaking it down as soon as the show is done. They've done a tremendous job for over a year now, uh, yes. really covering uh, all these major shows. So maybe so that you don't have to Ryan gray always brings you a great preview for all of these shows too. If there's a big WWE show, you know, he's going to be there, uh, talking about the build and trying to make sense of it, even though a lot of it doesn't make any sense, but Ryan does a great job doing that. He and Johnny C also do WCW must die. A look back at the dying days of WCW, a super fun. Listen, if you want more Vince Russo in your life and who the hell don't, right? Nobody, nobody, but I mean, everybody. Yes, uh, but all kinds of stuff going on every single day on the North South Connection. Check out Cronoso uh, dropping every day. Everybody's reviewing one match at a time. Quick little blast to get you started. And uh, yeah, leave us a review. Let us know what you like, what you don't like, stuff like that. Okay. Oh, we have one more match, right? We do. So this is Fl- Randy Savage and Flair. Now, where was this shown? Uh, this was shown on primetime Prime wrestling see i had never seen this match until this project i i probably saw it like back of the day but yeah not since yeah like i i don't know what it is i mean i saw i remember seeing highlights like on superstar because we didn't we never got primetime right ever here well, all we had uh, was superstars uh yeah so we had it and i was pretty much i think watching um, consistently from when I started getting into it, like late 90, probably is when I started watching primetime. And of course I'd have to go to bed. I usually be able to watch like the first hour or so, but I think by 92, I was able to stay up and watch almost all of it. So I, I'm and this would have been this right around the summer. Like, so yeah, I, I probably would have watched this at the time, but it's a very random, odd presentation. Oh yeah. Yeah. Like I, as this, I just remember being shocked that flair won the belt back on such a show. I was like, oh, what, really? And he's wearing purple? Okay. Yeah, and this... I mean, I guess it kind of plays off SummerSlam, where they got attacked, and they're not going to have another pay-per-view till Survivor Series, and they didn't really have any other setting to do it on. I mean, they would have a Science Man event in October if they wanted to wait, but it felt like they really wanted to get it back on Flair. Right, and I guess they wanted to get it on Flair for a particular reason, which we'll talk about next episode. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, um... Well, even that, no, I don't know if they knew that yet. Like, again, I think at this point, the plan was still probably Warrior um, to win it from Flair. And that's why they were trying to get it off Savage and then transition over to that and just use Flair as a conduit. Do you think Warrior was supposed to win the Rumble? 93? Yeah. No, I think Warrior is going to win the title at the Rumble. Oh, and then fight Yokozuna? I have no idea from there, but yeah, I think I maybe razor or something. I don't know, but I, I think warrior was going to beat flair at the rumble for the title. Yeah. I find that whole period fascinating. Cause like if the plan is warrior, where are you going? Right. Like 
what like who's when is the rumble going to be for the number one contendership like or is that something they threw in after because they had Brett as champ and not really any like super feasible contenders you know like I'm curious how that all came together. Is there not a Bruce Pritchard podcast about the 1993 Royal Rumble? I'm sure there's some stuff out there, and and some of our listeners can share with us uh, what the actual plan was. I'm just not as dialed in. Um, I know there's just a lot around going around at that point. Right. I guess changed. I mean, Brett's kind of a last minute thing, so I don't think that was planned. I, I think it was to get to Flair to get to Warrior. Mm, um, I don't sense. know why they felt they had to rush and have this happen on a random house show in Hershey and aired on primetime. Yeah. Um, but again, I think they were trying to play off SummerSlam and the injury and just cash in to make it part of the big plan. And I'm guessing the original plan, I would assume, was Flair was going to win it at SummerSlam before it got shifted to London. And they didn't feel that was like a big enough thing, right? So I'm guessing oh, if, you have, if you had to map out their plan in early summer, probably would have been Flair regains at SummerSlam and then loses to Warrior, right? But because they had a shift, they wanted to do Warrior Savage at SummerSlam, things get sh- shaken up, and they decided to just pull the title off Savage like the next possible time, which was this. But um, and it is rare, too, because it's primetime. Like, we already know Flair's champion before the match airs. So yeah, it's, they're saying, like, that. we have a new champion. It's and Because, I mean, primetime has always been more of a, like, studio recap type of show right so right it's like a news program so they're explaining what happened like hey we had a big title change over the weekend we have a new champion we're going to show you what happened um here tonight so and they do show the match in full halfway through the show yes i always thought that was strange and in fact when i was looking up the prime times to do it w- the first thing you hear on prime time is we have a new champion i'm like oh oh did i did i click right, on the wrong the episode right yeah <laughs> no but it's this one um I love too that the build of the summer for this is like Flair has been working consistently on Savage's knee since WrestleMania. Right. Like they bust up his knee at 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 SummerSlam also and Savage comes down to the ring for this match already limping and already clearly injured. Yeah, he's definitely banged up as he comes down. Yeah. And, and they're he, gloating over it. Like they know they have him. Yeah, and I love too that early on Perfect just keeps trying to swipe the leg to hurt him yes. more. Yeah. And Vince McMahon has used like four Dolph, dog or wolf references in like 30 seconds. Uh, yeah. And an odd one. The, yeah. The, the work at the beginning of the match, too, is interesting with Savage in the corner where he's trying to avoid Flair diving at his legs. Yeah, because he knows like he's banged up. He's injured. He knows these guys have gone on his legs before. And he's just so aware of his surroundings this whole match. He's guarding his leg. He's watching perfect. He's like in pure survival mode. And Bobby says that as well. Mm. He's just doing whatever he can to circle away from the danger. Because he just lived this at WrestleMania. And he knows these guys just fucked him up at SummerSlam. So he knows he's going to target and that they can do damage. Yeah, he's just trying to avoid getting his leg hurt more. <laughs> right. And, it, and, and in a lot of ways, it's really interesting because it's a completely different story than the last match. Yep. Where he's trying to murder Flair. Um. Savage does manage a press slam pretty early, but hurts his knee. So I like that it kind of it's playing into the match. And um, I love that there's this great little spot where Flair tries an arm drag, but Savage cinches him into an abdominal stretch. Mm-hmm. Never seen that out of Savage. And then Flair just punches the knee to get out, <laughs> which is great. Yeah, and he's I mean, Flair's on point like he knows this is his golden opportunity. Like it may not get better than this for him as far as setup. like this champion that he knows inside and out is completely wrecked and banged up. He's got him on this random night with perfect in his corner and he has to make this count like that's so good. And perfect is great here again too. constantly getting involved, trying to keep Savage paranoid. They know they have him. They just have to close the deal. 
Yeah. And Flair just keeps working the leg. He does these pins where he like great mm-hmm. vines his legs at the same time. He's working single crabs. A Savage, like we mentioned earlier, is a great, um, great sell of the leg. Savage tries to make a comeback, nails a double axe handle, but fucks up his knee more. And then here comes Razor Ramon, which I, mm-hmm. I had no clue this was happening. Like, I was like, yep. oh, cool. This is like, I'd never seen it. Right. So like, oh, OK, this is where they're going. Um, I love, too, that Flair busts out a drop kick to get Savage to the outside. And then Ramon just kicks the shit out of his knee. Yep. He just lays him out. And Bobby even says at one point, Savage is trying to get himself disqualified, which honestly wouldn't have been a bad play if you're Savage to try yeah. to escape this match. I mean, he's probably got too much pride to do it. But um, Bobby, for once, is probably right that, like, it's it's possible here, given how much in danger he is. Uh, but, yeah, Razor just kicks the shit out of him on the floor. Uh, Flair throws him back inside. He grabs a figure four. Savage tries to hang on, tries to hang on, and then eventually passes out. And Ric Flair regains the title for the second time. Yeah. Um, I, I thought that this, like, it was a totally different match than than um, WrestleMania. It wasn't as exciting, but I really liked the story of it. Yeah, it had really good strategy, really good psychology, and it's played well. I mean, it, you know, as random as it was being on this night, like, if you just picture this being the Raw after a pay-per-view, it would work, right? <laughs> because, yeah. like, it, like, the story led to it that way. He had this match at Mania. He's had a target on him since with Flair. Flair has taken months to unveil this plan that paid off at SummerSlam where he destroyed Savage's knee and made Mm -hmm. sure he kept his title so he could be the one to take it off him. And he gets an immediate title shot because he knew he had that in his back pocket and then takes advantage of the attack. So, yeah, if you picture this being on the Raw right after SummerSlam or a week after, it would make sense. It's just that that wasn't the construct yet. So they do it in the setting. And it's probably the biggest thing, honestly, to ever happen on primetime, I think. Uh, I'd have to think back if there's anything that jumps out more. Maybe Flair's arrival, I guess, right. in 91. But this is up there. It's Flair. It's kind of Prime sounds like Flair's show. It's kind of weird. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, and then it helps, too, because you got perfect, like, at the table with Bobby. Uh, I guess this is during the round table era, so they're gloating and loving it too. So that that plays up, helps play up the moment as well. Yeah, it, it's it's kind of spectacular. Um, uh, look, I think the match is good. I'm at six for the match. Well, hang on, hang on. Did you end up watching the post match? No, I didn't. Tell me about it. Sorry. Okay, so they go back to the studio, then they come back to say, "Look, more happened," and <laughs> Razor came back out. And just beats the shit out of Savage. It's a really good beating. Like, he kicks the shit out of him. And then Warrior comes out, and he has no face paint on. And he has this big, baggy, orange, button-down shirt on. It's just such a weird look. And he carries Savage to the back, like Tarzan and Jane. Like, Savage is draped over his shoulder, like, like wincing and, like, squinting. And Warrior's, like, nuzzling his head. It's such a weird moment. Um, but it's a really good way to make an impact for Ramon, like it really made him look like a beast and a, and a big time bad guy. And you can see why, because I think if you don't really watch this or some of the build, you may be questioning like why Survivor Series is Ramon suddenly like in this big heated main event with Savage Warrior. But this tells such a better story to get you there when you know he was the key cog in costing Savage's world title. Um, and I, yeah, I thought this was kind of a hidden gem. Like it had smart work. Savage shelling his ass off, going against the odds. He looked so gutty, trying to do all he could, and he just fell at the end because he couldn't do it. And uh, Ramon was great, too, and it transitions them to this, you know, who's more macho feud. And it's a very good match. It just deserved a little bit better of an audience and historical spotlight. Like, this wasn't even on the on Peacock, right? Like, we had to watch it on Daily Motion. Right. Um, it's available or, you know, it's through other methods where we just could be able to pull it from. But it's crazy to me that it isn't, like, readily available by WF. Like, it's such a seminal 
you know, title change in the stretch because it sets up Bret Hart's big win. So that's right. Um, did you factor that into your significance? <clears throat> uh, a little bit, which we'll get to. Yeah. So I went six on match quality as well. I'm with you. It's uh, definitely above average, like in the three, three and a quarter star range, probably right for you. Yeah, it's good. Quarter. It's good. Yeah. Like it's like, yes. oh, this this was fun to watch, and it didn't overstay its welcome either. Right. Like Agreed. it was the right length. Like it, you know, I I really dug it. Yeah, significance I went too. I think because getting the title back on Flair to then set up what comes is like you couldn't really do that with Savage. I guess they weren't going to do that with Savage. Uh, it sets up his second reign for the fall. Whether you knew about you know whatever was to come or not, like he was either transition it to somebody and kind of rebuild the promotion around him. And then uh, also it's Savage's last world title reign ends here. So, and it sets up Razor as a big threat. So c- kind of a decent amount of stuff happened out of it. Yeah. I'm at a one for significance more because like, it just really feels like now Flair's just a transitional champion. Right. But I, I didn't hate it or anything. It's a big transition. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I did bump my, um, I did bump the moment up after hearing you talk about uh, Razor coming out. I, mm-hmm. I meant to, to do that. I'm at a four for the moment. Yep, same for me. It's Flair's win feels a little dull that it's kind of escape out of there, but it, it's been so built that it was like such a good payoff to him finally winning it back. And then, yeah, the Razor stuff was really good after. He just kicks a shit out of him. Plus, plus the Warrior thing was really funny. Yeah. Uh, the build, I'm at a six. I think it's, I mean, the build just continues. I, I, I love the leg injury from WrestleMania that they hurt again at SummerSlam and it plays into the finish here. I think that's just long-term storytelling that they don't just, they just don't do anymore. Agreed. Agreed. It was perfectly paid off for SummerSlam that had been built all year. So, yeah. And aftermath, I mean, you get a month of Flair as champ, right? And yeah. there's nothing really here. So I'm at a two. Yep. Same. It really, um, you could almost look at the aftermath more as the Razor Savage stuff that builds the Sarvis series, right. which Flair is also involved in. So there is follow up plus the big title change to follow. So, yes, absolutely. Um, was this surprising for you? It was a big what to me, for sure, when I turned on primetime. And it's like, what the hell? Like, this happened just randomly? I mean, 92 is the year of, like, untelevised title changes. They did it a lot in 92, for sure. So it's not super crazy, I guess, but it is a world title change, which hadn't really happened off air, I mean, since some of those earliest ones we talked about, right? So, yeah, like at house shows. So, I mean, yeah, it's, I guess, Hogan chic, but even that was at least on MSG live. So, of course, you know, yeah, it's it, it's a rare one for sure. Even even in a year where they did a bunch of tag title changes off TV, it's um it's a rare one. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I was surprised, too. I'm like, again, oh, OK, cool. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know. I had no clue where it was going. It was just a yeah, it's a bit of a shock. And then it happens again. <laughs> I mean, we have two two house show title changes in you know two months here. Yeah, and and the next one is way more shocking. Right. Like what? Hold on. Wait a minute. Um, all right. Listen. After this one, uh, we have now ranked twenty uh, changes. Mm-hmm. What do you say to close out this episode? We go through our twenty. Okay. Let's do it. All right. So number twenty, Pedro Morales versus Stan Stasiak with uh, sixteen points. <laughs> Uh, all right. Next, we have Bruno versus. No, I'm sorry. We have uh, Hogan versus Undertaker at Survivor Series with 30 points. Then Bruno versus Stan Stasiak at a house show with 31 points. 
And then I just realized you have a much better tab to look at. Uh, Bruno versus <laughs> Ivan Koloff, 32 points. There you go. Uh, then from the Royal Rumble, Ultimate Warrior versus Sergeant Slaughter, 34 points. Pedro Morales versus Ivan Koloff with 39 points. Um, so I, I gave Flair uh, Savage the bump here to 14, uh, tied yeah, at 39 points. Yeah, yeah, okay, good. I figured you would. Okay. Uh, then Bruno San Martino versus Billy Graham, superstar Billy Graham with 41 points. Yeah, at number 12, Bob Backlund versus Billy Graham with 43 points. Then Hulk Hogan versus Sergeant Slaughter, WrestleMania 7, 44, which honestly feels a little lower than I would have expected coming into this project. I know, right? Um, and it's it's kind of sad, too, that Hogan Slaughter and Backlund Graham have now, because of this this episode, have been bumped out of the top 10. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, it feels like like when you, well, especially when you look at number nine, uh, uh, where am I? Yeah, you look at number 10, Hulk Hogan Undertaker from this Tuesday in Texas at 45. Yeah, so it's crazy to me that that's higher than Hogan Savage. I mean, uh, Hogan yeah. Slaughter. I know, right? But then again, I think it's all in the follow-up. Right. That's okay. number 10, Hogan Undertaker. Uh, number nine, Bob Backlund versus Iron Sheik. Yeah, that's it. 49, uh, 49 points. Yeah. Uh, number eight, Buddy Rogers, Bruno San Martino, 51 points. It's f- crazy. This is a match that we couldn't even watch. And we have it. It's, it's still at number eight. Significance. This is insane. That's why. Yeah. All right. Number seven, I think, is another interesting one. It's Hogan Warrior from WrestleMania 6 with 67 points. Yeah. And then, top, well, maybe maybe we should switch those two because tied with that is Savage DiBiase from WrestleMania 4. I think it depends on what you want the tiebreaker to be. Is it match quality? Is it significance? Like, what is our... Because then you could just look at the higher of the two, you know, like the highest of that category. You know, I feel like something like moment should maybe be the deciding mm-hmm. factor. Okay. Well, we could, we could figure it out next time. So that's six. Uh, number five... Is Hulk Hogan I... versus Randy yeah. Savage. Yep, with 69 points at WrestleMania 5. Uh, number four, Randy Savage, Ric Flair from WrestleMania 8 with 72 points. And then our top three, Hulk Hogan versus Andre the Giant at the main event, 75 points. Yeah. Uh, and then knocked out of number one, Hulk Hogan versus the Iron Sheik from MSG, 76 points. And number one, the Royal Rumble match from 1992 where Ric Flair wins the title, 78 points. And uh, it'll be curious, Aaron, if anything can surpass this now. Yeah. Uh, I mean, like, well, we talk about that all the time on now entering the Royal Rumble with Ric Flair's run. Mm-hmm. But I feel this has a better chance of being surpassed. Probably. We do have some killers coming up. Yeah, yeah. But some of the best matches in company history are not world title changes. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's it's yeah. And then the 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 world title changes on here that are in that conversation of best mm-hmm. matches, for whatever reason, just don't they, they don't click some of the other boxes. Correct. Correct. So it'll be interesting. There's a good chance this is up there for a bit, but we'll see. Uh, okay, so we'll be back in two weeks on this show with the next installment of our GWD breakdown. We'll continue through our list. And then in a month's time, we'll be back looking at uh, Bret Hart's uh, reign transitioning to Yokozuna. So we'll cover the October house show in Saskatoon and then the two matches at WrestleMania 9 uh, to get to, uh, you know, back to Hogan. And then we'll go from there. Yeah, can't wait to do those Hogan matches. <laughs> <laughs> no one can. All right, the Dookie's been dropped. Talk to you soon. Drop your asses.